Hello, hello. Welcome to Kill the Bottle Podcast. That is Mora, a.k.a. the Yum Yum Foodie. And uh, having a sip of something is uh, Megan right over there. What are you drinking, Megs? Sparkling water. Fuck. All right, it was worth a shot. Um, so uh, it is called Kill the Bottle Podcast. And in honor of our guest, who I'll introduce in just a few minutes, I am. Uh, I have a couple, a few different guys behind me. That didn't sound right. Uh, I have a few bottles of of stuff behind me that I will be sipping on throughout and uh i have i have a few different amaros i've got some some of the stuff that's easy to find because i want folks to listen to this and say hey this is something i could chances are i can find uh some of the really cool stuff at our guests uh home bar is gonna probably be a little bit more challenging to find but i also love knowing about those things that's something about what makes uh makes uh you know, talking to to folks like our guests so exciting. Megs, I I don't know if you remember the last episode. I I mentioned that uh, I I had uh, I had like a cr- breakdown cry moment about my dad, and I was talking about yeah. music, and I couldn't remember what song it was that I wanted to be able to like share with him and like talk about the lyrics and all that stuff. And you know, I can't can't really do that anymore. I found out what it was today, and uh, it's the <laughs> now I'm having like a brain fart. Uh, it's the joke by Brandy Carlile. It's uh probably her per- like her live performance at the Grammys is the one that got me and then I saw her on Ellen doing her performance there and I dove into like a black hole of Brandy Carlile and uh which is a good black hole to be in but that's the one that like broke me to tears thinking about not being able to talk about music with my dad even though my dad is still here so you know the joke's on me I guess right anyway how's well. your day <laughs> <laughs> bummer well i'm being you know I, i'm about being honest so if i can't tell you the truth um then i'm right. just instagram so no i have to f- i don't know that song either so that oh cool. this whole so, conversation is hard to talk about i'm excited to share that song with you because it is a like it is moving so i'm gonna share it with you uh i'll send it to you after Great. the show's over but now it's time uh to get to the show besides that making you good be with your sparkling water. Is it, are I you drinking I'm fancy? Fine. Are you drinking that soda stream you keep bitching about? Or are you drinking? No. No? <laughs> Megan keeps bitching to me. about. Don't give Megan anything, I... guys. Here's the thing. Don't give her anything. She will figure Don't out a way anything. to complain about whatever you give her. You could give mm-hmm. her $1,000. She'll figure a way to complain about the $1,000 you gave her. Because it, it's just not enough. It's never enough. It won't cut. Co- that won't cover putting my dog down. Uh, <laughs> that's, 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 uh, you know, that's a dark truth um it's a very dark truth i will find a way to complain about a thousand you you will find a way uh one thing you will never find me complaining about is visiting uh the bar where i met our guest this week um he is a well first of all i love i love like hearing about people's awards because i get uncomfortable with any kind of award and i saw his speech and he was like, man, he was really, either he was shitty-faced or he was really comfortable. But uh, our guest this week was wine enthusiast, mixologist of the year, uh, former president of the New York chapter of the United States Bartenders Guild, beverage director where I met him at a bitters and, well, bitters bar, I like to call it, but Amor y Amargo, right in the Lower East Side, named one of the top 25 bars in North America. And he hosts a really fun uh drinking show of sorts i mean it's a it's a definitely he's a lot nicer than we are uh but he hosts a wonderful show called speakeasy on heritage radio and anyway i want to welcome to kill the bottle podcast uh my friend souther teague welcome sir hey eddie i'm so excited to finally be here it's been we've been talking about this for a little while and uh, i've been listening to your episodes and 
it's a great show and I'm, I'm stoked to be on board. Um, and I'm first of all, I'm super excited to have you on. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna start before we get into anything with a fun little story about you. Um, okay. I was at a bar here in LA a couple nights ago and, uh, a bartender there was making me his interpretation of the Presidente, one of, one of my favorite cocktails. And anyway, he starts talking to me about uh, certain bitters and things that they're that they're working on at this bar Dama in downtown LA. I, I'll I'll take you to it, Megan. It's a lot of fun. And anyway, he brought up Amor y Amargo, and he brought up him coming from Colombia, going to New York for the first time. Uh, his bartender friend taking him to Amor y Amargo, meeting you, and you taking him on this journey. Of, of bitters and amaros that he had never fathomed or experienced before. And uh, this somewhat shy bartender was just lit up telling a great story about you. And that that's you in a nutshell. You are just an extremely generous and good person in the bar industry, which is, it's, you know, it's, it's good to see that. I've been, uh, I've been called um, a relentless hospitalitarian, uh, which sounds like aggressive and it kind of is, you know, I, and I feel like that's what I do, right? I, I sum up my entire life by saying one sentence twice, right? And you say it two different ways and it, and it tells the whole story of my life. I throw a party every night. I throw a party every night. Megan will right? find a way to complain about it. <laughs> Don't worry. Fighting. Megan, it's, throw the party for Megan. She'll bitch about it somehow. She'll figure I love out. how you said that. Now, I relate to yeah. you now. <laughs> it's super exciting and I love it, but it's exhausting. But the thing is, I do it because I love it. And when people come into the bar and they have any spark of interest in what I'm doing, like how flattering is that? You know, like I built a thing. And people are interested in it and they want to come in and ask me questions and they want to, you know, kind of put me over the coals and grill me. And I'm so excited every time. And so I'm sure I, I don't remember that bar. If you said their name, maybe I'd remember, but oh, it's okay. Um, but that's how I treat everyone. You don't have to be a bartender to get special treatment from me. I, I try and make everyone have a great time. And, and that's, it. that's even how I met you. You were upstairs at Cienfuegos, the bar yeah. above me that no longer exists. The Cuban uh, bar. Yeah. But I, but I brought you down and showed you some other stuff and showed you what Amore Margo is all about. Um, I have a drink to have for kill the bottle. Oh, I want to please. Talk about this a little bit. What do we, we what do you off, got? About drink. By the way, Megan, I want to go back to you. Sparkling water is almost all I drink. You know, in 2000, my New Year's resolution was to drink water only for a year. And I did it. Yeah. Uh, you did it? Yeah, I did it. And then in 2001, and mostly it was sparkling water. 2001, I said I can have alcohol again, but just alcohol and water. And I never changed that. So I only cool. drink water and alcohol. I haven't had a glass of juice, milk, coffee, soda, anything. Water and alcohol, mostly sparkling water, for 23 years now. Oh, so I don't end, think I could do the coffee, but the rest of it, that sounds great. Good so job. That, yeah, thank you. So to that end, um, you know, I built a rig in my house to make better sparkling water than you can get out of any of the commercial machines you buy. And it's the same rig that we built when we opened up Booker and Dax. Um, and it costs about 100 bucks, which is what you probably spent on your soda stream. And no, you somebody gave it to her control. and she bitched about it. <laughs> You have greater control. Oh, who gave it to her? You? No, <laughs> I would <laughs> never. Hear, she'd never hear the end of it. Over, sorry. Yeah, you have greater control over the level of uh, uh, you know fizz that you have in your in your water. So if you want, we can talk about that off air, and we can set you up with all the components that you need to build Ooh. your own system at home. I mean, I could build my own. Oh, it's so easy. Just a few components. Um, and I will. I'm sick of the gas canisters already, and I've changed it just once. <laughs> right. Well, well, with the unit that we build, it wouldn't uh, rely on those. You can get a five pound tank, which would probably be plenty for several months. Or if you can get a 10 pound, if you got room, you get a 50 pound. You probably need to change it for two years. Um, I want it. All right. Yeah. What are we drinking? Ooh. I'm drinking. So you mentioned at the top of the shows, some of the stuff you can get at my bar. You can't necessarily get everywhere. This one's starting to become more popular. I'm holding it up for the camera for you. This is called Edda Rhine Amaro Flora. Mm. Um, and this is a domestic Amaro, right? Meaning it's made here in America. Uh, it's made down in North Carolina. And uh, the, the guys down there, 
forage for over 90% of all the botanicals that they use in all of their products. Wow. Um, so these guys are, they, they consider themselves like mountain distillers. Um, they hearken back to like the, you know, the, 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 the traditional methodologies. So they're out there foraging um, and they make a gin, a whiskey, a, a, a vodka, and then they make several of these botanicals, which are, of course, what I love. Uh, and Amaro Flora is, um, man, it's forest floor, it's roots, it's bark, it's trees. Uh, it's got a huge nose of like wildflowers. Um, I would guess they don't they don't tell you Amari, Amari makers are notoriously secretive, but I would guess there's some honey in here as the sweetening agent. It is delightful, and I'm gonna crack it open. But I wanted to hold up to the camera for you. You see, it's been sitting on my shelf for a minute. It's got a little sediment that's collecting in the bottom, mm-hmm. so it's unfiltered. Uh, so you give it a shake just to kind of redistribute. Yeah, you you gotta watch his YouTube channel, by the way the uh, <laughs> the, the the creative oh drunk uh, because it is drunk that's me yeah it, it, and also that's that's uh, southern on on social media but uh, just just the because f- I've seen many a cocktail video I've made many a cocktail video but uh, there's something so soothing about watching you just make three martinis I watched that video today twice and I was like fuck I'm achy I don't feel good today and I want. <laughs> I want a dirty martini and I want a Plymouth martini. So I, I have yeah. to thank you for that. You, it was really inspiring, guys. So I'll, I'll share that on uh, on social when this episode airs, so you guys can check out. Uh, so they're throwing down some drinks. Megan, yeah, Megan you. tried a dry January. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't complete. She's drinking sparkling water now. I just assumed it was dry January. Listen, I have a bone to pick with dry January in the first place. Agreed. Um, I think it's bad for you, Megan. Um, I think it's bad for you because. I'm willing to bet that the majority of folks, the, the, the you general, the majority of folks out there who do dry January, they drink a lot right up until January 1st. Yes. You know, it's New Year's, it's Christmas, it's everything. And then I'm betting that they drink a lot on February 1st, 2nd, 3rd, right? Because they're getting mm-hmm. back in the game. That's like shocking to the body. Yep. Go, oh, like, yeah. You know, too, too, too drastic a temperature change, you know, like or something for your body. Um, I also think that you're probably going to feel guilty if you fall off the wagon and miss a day. Uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's somebody's birthday you forgot has in January or someone gets engaged or gets a promotion at their job. And then you're like, well, I got to have a drink with Bill. You got a promotion, right? So you feel bad. My recommendation, and then the third one is huge, but I'll give you my recommendation first. Um, my recommendation is skip a day a week for the whole year. That's 52 instead of 30, mm-hmm. 31 in January. That's 52. It's not so shocking to the body. So you say, I just don't drink on Tuesdays all year long. And then if you have to, oh, it's Bill's we all got a promotion on a Tuesday and you say, well, I'll take Wednesday off. Right. You don't have to like beat yourself up for not making the, the stretch. Right. But the real, the real trick is this show talks a lot about drinking. So I know you love bars and bartenders. The fact that so many people quit drinking every January, it's crippling to my business. It affects. It oh, yeah. affects the business bad. Absolutely. I know I have a lot of friends so, in breweries that the business is so slow. They've lost their hours. It's bad. Yeah. So how, what, what good is this? If we can, if we can probably agree that I'm, I think I'm pretty right. I, I could be wrong. I'm no doctor, but that's probably not as good for your body as just skipping. You know, that's 52 days instead of 30, one day a week that you just never drink uh, instead of just this 30 days that, that it's bad for your body and it's bad for the businesses that you love. What's the good? Here? Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, I mean, you're hurting people I, you visit. Yeah. Sorry, Megs. I yeah. also had like a come to Jesus where it was like, there was like the shootings, unfortunately that just happened. I'm like, Oh my God, if I was anywhere near there or I got injured or I died, heaven forbid, I would be so regretful of not drinking for the last three weeks. That right. would be awful. <laughs> oh, it's slightly it's myopic, little... Megan, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking we only live once, but I um it's I true. did it for a while and I was looking for health benefits. 
And I, by week three of straight, not just doing that really, really clean eating, there's, I have, I've gained four pounds. Your skin looks Um, good. I don't feel, I don't feel any different. Um, so I was just like, you know what? I don't need to drink as much. Like you're saying, I don't need to drink every single day. And I was drinking a lot. Like I could drink half a bottle of vodka in one, in one night, you know? So I don't need to do that. But I, I, I think I can be an adult enough to know that I don't have a problem because I can't stop and I can control myself. So that's the goal now. The discipline. Yeah. I think, I think moderation in all things, including moderation, meaning from time to time, be ascetic and don't do anything. And from time to time, kick the fucking doors in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know? I, it's funny. You, but, you but mentioned dry life, January. Live your life in the middle there. You know what I mean? Do you? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I have a feeling towards this. I, I have a somewhat of a feeling towards this. But do you feel like mocktails are a scam? I don't think they're a scam. Price I think point wise, also kind of not. Uh, you, uh, no, I'll no. Tell you why. Okay. I think that they're. I think they're also kind of a, a burden on the the establishments, especially mm-hmm. like mine. Um, and I'll give you some reasons. They're not a scam because to make a good mocktail or you know uh, um, in a cocktail program the first thing that the the place has to do the business has to do they, they have to go in the kitchen right we got to get in the kitchen we're making some kind of syrup we're doing an infusion we're making some sort of tea-based thing or we're literally creating you know a multi-flavored thing but it's got there's a stove involved there's some labor involved there's so that now there's your price point got it right when i make drinks at amore margo it's bottles off the back of the bar we don't use any syrups or juices we don't do any infusions we don't shake any drinks so everything we do is just booze i literally only have one non-alcoholic ingredient it's water. Granted, I have flat, frozen, and bubbly, but just water, right? Um, which means nothing spoils, right? If I'm going in the kitchen and spending that labor, I'm also spending it on something that isn't going to last. Mm-hmm. Right? So now I got to now I got to pay attention to that. And the story or the sort of analogy that I use here is, you guys are probably aware of Peter Luger Steakhouse, famous mm-hmm. steakhouse here in New York City, Brooklyn. I don't I don't know if you've ever been, but uh, they have salmon on the menu, and you know who orders it? No one, because um, you go over there for the steak, right? So, but what they have to do is that means that someone had to order salmon. Someone had to be there to the truck to receive it off the truck and they had to get paid, right? Someone had to butcher it down into servable pieces. Someone had to hold it in the cooler and make sure that it was fresh and ready to go. Someone had to maybe cook a piece or two, but probably eventually decide it's got to go in the garbage. We just have to have it on hand because someone might order this thing at the place where everyone orders steak. Yeah. So it's difficult for me to, as a bar owner, justify going in the kitchen spending that labor, making a product that doesn't, that isn't shelf stable, knowing that no one's really coming here for that. Right. They come, when they say they're going to the bar, they're not thinking, you know, I'm going to go down that bar and not drink. Right. Yeah. I'm going to Peter Luger's steakhouse and not having a steak. No, I'm going somewhere else. If I'm not drinking. Exactly. Yeah. Roller skating. I'm going to Rockefeller center ice skating. It's winter time, you know, like, I don't know. So I don't think it's a scam. And I think that there's room for it. I just think we're, it's going to take us a while to get to a place where we can justify the costs in a way that that are appealing to the to the businesses, right? I'm yeah. talking this through the business lens. Do I like that stuff? Yeah, you know, my partner. We've been together for ten years. She doesn't drink. I appreciate when I go places that have things for her. Uh, but granted, but on the other side, she sort of avoids those places. She tells me, "Yeah, go have a great time. See you later." <laughs> um, you know, uh, but and, and you know, I just think it's a. I don't think it's a scam. I just think we're not, we're not there yet. Got it. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, now you're starting to, to see the low ABV stuff pop up. Um, I mean, I I can't tell you my easier. Yeah, in my inbox on Instagram is every low ABV company trying to send me bottles uh, so that I can oh, taste man. it. It is. I can't imagine what man. you deal with if you know, since man. you're so specific in the booze world. Um, so not just low, but the no. Stuff. The no, you know, yeah. The the I don't want to mention any brands. Um, 
because I don't want to harsh on anybody. No, that's fair. But I've tasted in the past year, I started tasting all these nose, non-alcoholic spirits brands. Started tasting them in earnest in January last year. So it's been a year. I've seriously tasted hundreds and I haven't found one yet that I consider to be even even kind of remotely good. The problem with <laughs> these, the problem with these, Megan, is um, w- w- just with anything with the uh, shoes, tires, I don't know, whatever. When you have a huge demand by the by the public, suddenly you're gonna have a rush to market. You know, mm-hmm. people are gonna rush the product out there, and that rushed product is probably not so great. Right. But they're grabbing, but they're grabbing those dollars, and while they're grabbing your dollars, they're using you as a guinea pig to do their R and D. Now, what will happen is in the first couple of years, it will shake out the ones that suck, yeah, and the ones that are okay will remain, or the ones that have a better budget or whatever. They'll right. some they'll be the tenacious ones that hold on, and then over the next eight to 10 years will slope up and we'll get better. I very much feel in my core that in 10 years from now, you'll walk into any bar. We'll crack the code by then. And you'll walk into any bar and you'll see a bottle of whiskey and a bottle of not whiskey. That's good. A bottle of gin and a bottle of not gin, a bottle of tequila and a bottle of not tequila. Um, but right now they're all just, they all taste like tea. They all overwhelmingly, this is the craziest part. When you say, is it worth it? They overwhelmingly cost more than the actual thing. You know, I can get a liter of old Overholt rye whiskey, the longest continuously produced rye whiskey in the world. I can get that in my wholesale for my bar for $18 a liter, uh, and I'm paying $25 a $750, so it's even more expensive yeah. of these things. And these things have a six-month shelf life, whereas my whiskey has an eternal shelf life. Yeah. So i right. got to worry about it going bad. It costs more. No one's really coming here to get it, you know what I mean, because they're not that good. No one knows these brands. I can't call them by name yet. So it's like this whole process we have to go through and, you know, you just got to roll up your sleeves and get ready to do the work. You, there's a great quote that you say, uh, or you've said, and that, uh, you know, the quote is that you used to always joke that you were a chef and now you make chilled soup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I like yeah. one of our previous guests, uh, Gabe Orta, he, he, from, from Broken Shaker, Gabe, Gabe's a chef yeah, and then made his that, way into, episode. yep. And, uh, and, uh, do you attribute your, I guess your connection to bitters because of of being a chef, because man, some of the combinations of bitters that so folks at home, sorry, I'm jumping in just to say one thing. He he sells these great um, kind of like little mini lots of individual small collection bitters, like rare bitters um, mm-hmm. that are just wild and cool and eclectic and and really interesting. Uh, so that's why I asked that question. Sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. Uh, and yeah, one thousand percent, I attribute that. So I was a chef for twelve years. Uh, you know, working chef. I taught at the New England Color Institute for two of those years, um, uh, and I have a very savory palate coming out of that part of my life. Now, I've been behind the bar now for 23 years, um, but in the beginning, you know, I was kind of like a, a wild horse. I was loose. You know, I was like looking at all spectrum of, of cocktails, um, especially as cocktails started really becoming a thing, which was kind of right when I got into it. Um really digging around and trying to find as much as I could find. So the bar that I worked at at that time was broad spectrum. And we had frozen drinks in the blender. We had stirred drinks and everything in between. Um, and then uh, Applebee's. as the time passed, no, <laughs> basically, no, it was a place on the Upper East Side. Um, it doesn't exist anymore, too bad. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, over time, I started to realize, like, my t- personal palate, I'm leaning towards these things. And then I started, you know, um, being introduced to, Amari and the bitter liqueurs and vermouth. And I kept leaning and edging that way. And then bitters came into my life. And, you know, some, you know, people are always like, where's that romantic moment that it happened? Nothing like that. I wasn't hit by an Amaro truck. And then I realized my epiphany. 
what happened is, you know, like everything uh, happens, it happened pretty slowly at first and then kind of quickly at the end there. So I went from this like interest to, uh, you know, curiosity to uh, made it kind of into my hobby. Then I made it into my job. Then I made it into my career. Um, but yeah. Uh, when, and so when I say that about chilled soup, it's because what I lean towards are the stirred spirit forward, really, um, you know, uh, bold flavored, interesting, interesting to me anyway. Um, the world of tomorrow. It's I, I it's I can't get enough of it. Yeah. I mean, How did you end up marrying somebody who doesn't drink? I mean, don't you want to impress her with your your partner with your skills? Like your first, partner, here's all my skills, and this is what I'm going to impress all, you with. First oh, of I all, don't Megan, do that. No ring on this fingers. Uh, we partner. Are <laughs> uh, she's my partner. Uh, they they are my partner. Um, and uh, only in the last couple of years, uh, stopped drinking. Um, it was. Oh, okay. uh, you know, so you impressed her, or are they at the beginning? <laughs> well, we, met at, we, met, we met at Amore Margo. Uh, oh, yeah. that's awesome. So, um, yeah, she was a, a guest who came in uh, one night, and we, just just ten years ago, uh, we know exactly the day we met. I know it's hokey, but it was because it was so close to Christmas. It was December twenty second, uh, twenty twelve. Um, but over time, realized that they couldn't drink. Well, we're all allergic to alcohol. <laughs> And we all oh, suffer really? similar. That's the hangover. We, yes, That's we, all, the... we all suffer similar similar yeah. symptoms. First, we uh, makes us uh, lose our uh, you know impairs our judgment. Um, our motor skills get less. Uh, uh, we start to slur our words. Our eyes get a little bit droopy. We start talking louder because uh, I uh, see sugar, nothing wrong. The sugar, the sugar goes up, <laughs> and then of course, lots of us have issues the next day with headaches, hangovers, etc. Uh, and uh, Matt um, simply realized that there was no over time. You know, aging things change. Over time, there's no amount of alcohol that they can drink and not wake up with a hangover tomorrow. <laughs> and that stuck around, though, even when yeah. sobering up. So that's a good but, sign. Yeah. Uh, they bartend at a place in Brooklyn. So, you know. Okay. <laughs> you, can be behind, you can be behind the bar. You know, Sam Malone famously bartended and was not uh, and did not drink. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking, well, another another guest of our show, one of my one of my favorite, uh, you know, bartending folks in the world, Gabe Sanchez out in Dallas, uh, doesn't doesn't really drink either. And, you know, he's somebody who I attribute also has just a, a really wonderful palate. I'm almost yeah. like I'm like, dude, you guys are like Beethoven. You're sitting there writing your ninth symphony in your desk. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's really it's really kind of cool. Um, and I'm thinking like if I found a guy like I play a guitar and if I found it, I was playing guitar and this guy would be like. I don't listen to that. I feel well, like I, I gotta to go. I'm not I don't a fan listen to music. music. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to I mean, offer you. <laughs> I mean, speaking of that, you know, uh, you're you're out in L.A. The both of you in L.A. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, Cato. I don't know if you've been there yet, but you should go. Great restaurant, uh, Michelin star. They moved from a little, uh, you know, out, out in L.A. It's very common to have your restaurant be in a little strip mall. They moved from a strip mall into a larger place. They didn't have a bar at the other place. It was just wine. Now they've got a bar. Their head bartender there uh, is in the Invibe 75, which just came out, uh, the Invibe magazine, 75 people to watch. Uh, and he's got a program there. It's it's a uh, you know tasting menu only. And you can choose to get the wine pairing, the cocktail pairing, or the NA pairing, since we're talking about NAs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is pioneering this thing. He doesn't drink himself anymore. And he this is why he's in Invibe 75, because of his NA thing. And he they sell, he said, around 30%. Uh, uh, of the NA. So that means that the, the remaining 70% is split between the wine and the cocktail, right? So it's kind of a Steven split, really. And that guy's name is Austin Henley, and he was uh, the head bartender for me at Amore Margo for many years. 
Um, oh, I, rem- I remember him. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'm like, yes, okay, mm-hmm. I remember him. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, he was a good you guy. You got to go out there. If you, if you guys go, get yourself a res, ping me, and I'll, I'll ping Austin and let, let him know you're coming. Oh, right on. Uh, speaking of, of places that, uh, you know, you, you have worked, um, and, and this kind of relates to hangovers, there was a place that you mentioned you worked there, and, and I had a friend that worked there named Stephanie over at uh, Booker and Dax. And Stephanie who? Stephanie Negrodi. Doesn't ring a bell. But Venezuelan and hilarious, but uh, she she yeah. worked there for a bit, and I remember they you guys well at least when I went um, there was a lot of centrifuge cocktails, so no mm. matter what I had it was clear, no matter clear you know water, yeah. it was clear as water, and I recall you know because kept on pouring me like a tequila drink, a ripple of this and then I'm like you're gonna fucking kill me, and she's like no 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 <laughs> the the just be you know be, the fact that it's centrifuge is gonna reduce uh some of that you know that feeling the next day and I, at least it it worked for me I mean obviously I there's there's I, little a buzzed. little bit of truth yeah there's a little truth there um clarification through centrifuge centrifugal um distillation and vacuum distillation or any distillation for that matter um you're going to get rid of some of the esters and some of the cogeners that are caught up in the spirits. Um, but you're not getting, you're not getting rid of ethanol and ethanol is really what's doing you the damage. Got uh, it. The alcohol part of alcohol is what's doing you the damage. Um, but I credit her and I credit you. The placebo effect goes a long way. It sure you did. I mean, you give, you give somebody something that's perfectly clear and say, this will not affect you as bad tomorrow as, as if you had it, you know, right out of the barrel. Yeah. I think I had and, like uh, five your, drinks. Your brain just says, all right, I agree. <laughs> and I wasn't too mind you. I had like five drinks and five waters. That's like my rule is is I have a glass of water go. in between uh, every drink, and that's you know that's that's kind of that's kind of worked out for me. Uh, I I also want to give you uh, credit for a really great concept um, that uh, you shared with me. And and one of the one of the last times I was in New York, I was able to go to Experience. Uh, this unfortunately, the last time I was there, um, it it you know it, it in the life of of the bar business. Um, but your your space coup. Um, Ooh, yeah, that was well, it, it had a timeline. It had a timeline anyway. We it was a it was, we only had the space for nine months. We knew we knew going in it was short lived. That I did not know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got it. Yeah, it was it was yeah. such a great experience. I and uh, so so Megan, I, I don't want to like tell his story, but it was so cool because you would order a drink. Um, the 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 price of the drink, from what I remember, uh, was a flat fee. It included gratuity. And you yep. were handed this wood token and distributed, yep. dispersed throughout this bar um, were different, uh, you know, banks, let's say, piggy banks for you to put these coins, large, small, whatever. And attached to them would be some kind of signage telling you which charity was being donated to based on how many you know coins were in there. Um, but they were it was cool because you would have them in the back of a booth. So it would encourage people to kind of talk to people at that booth like, yeah. oh, here, I'm dropping this in Planned Parenthood or whatever, you know, um, where, where did that come about? So there. So yeah. So this was uh, right when uh, um, President uh, Trump was being elected into office. We opened in April. Uh, you know, he took office in, in January, um, and we decided to give 100% of our profits to charities that were being threatened or defunded by the incoming administration. At that time, there were many, like you just said, Planned Parenthood, lots of immigration issues, um, lots of uh, women's rights issues, etc. Um, and so. We, this is an idea that I borrowed from a friend of mine named Bobby Hugel down in Texas. He had a bar called Okra for many years. I, I think Okra still exists. I just don't think he's a part of it anymore. Um, and Okra was the same thing, exa- almost exactly. They had uh, tickets instead of tokens. Our token said, do good while being bad. You know, we named our bar Coup because it's right. C-O-U-P, like an uprising. 
but when people see that at a bar, they think it says coupe, like the coupe class. <laughs> <laughs> so I had some double entendres. Um, and yeah, you, every single drink you got, uh, you got, you got a coin and you could walk around and look at the charities. And sometimes the charity folks would come and try and encourage people, you know, give money to our charity. And at the end of the month, we'd count the coins and, um, you know, by, by percentage, we'd give all the profits for that month away for those charities. And it was great. It was so great. And, um, I would love to have something like that on a permanent basis, but it's a little bit harder to pull off. Um, you know, again, knowing we had a timeline that really created urgency, we were packed every night because people knew it wasn't going to last long. Um, they wanted to support or not support, you know, folks came in to be rabble rousers, but, but you know what? So what? They yeah. still came in and spent money. <laughs> as long as they're talking really? about you, it just yeah, matters yeah. that they're, they're talking. Like, I'm not going to put my coin in any charity. I'm just going to drink the drink. And I'm like, keep the coin, man. That's fine with me. The percentage will still be the percentage. It, Who's um, doing that? Who are those yeah. people? Just imagine somebody's yeah. like one of those like war those vets people, and they have the like, ears of the people they kill, like hanging from a necklace. Yeah. They had the coins and they just would put them on a necklace and be like, ha ha. I've had 10 drinks right. here. I'm not donating. Who, right. like, if it's like a, a, a charity for children, like who, what evil soul goes up and it's like, uh, I'm not putting it in there. And but, I'm know, just going to drink. <laughs> you know, not a ton of that happened. Of course, we're in New York. Uh, everyone was kind of on our side, but it did, you know, the news was there. CNN came by. Like It was a big thing, at, you know, and that was the point, honestly, make a splash, make people understand that there are charities that you should probably care about and pay attention to in, in your general life. And that they're being threatened makes it even more imperative that you pay attention to them. So it worked really well. We're very excited and happy about how it went. And, you know, I'd love to try and do something like that again. Um, you know, and again, having, as you said, everything was inclusive. I think, I think uh, the price tag was like 20, 20, 21 or 20, which seems like a lot, but in New York City, that's no, a duty. Drinks were great. You know, you were, like it was a great space, yeah. really was. And we split the bar in half right down the middle. And one side was our staff all the time making our drinks and as many nights as possible. The other side was a guest bartender who would come in and make a few drinks of their own making and, and bring a charity of their own to the, to the mix. Um, so, you know, we got guys like Dale DeGroff and Dave Wondrich and um, you know, uh, Julie, I think Julie Reiner came and did one and oh, wow. we had some really great bartenders come through and, um, like, you know, like, well, even like I just said, Dave Wondrich, it was a very rare opportunity. He, he does a lot of talking. He's the, you know, known historian in the booze world uh, but it's rare to see him get behind the bar and actually spin drinks so um you know he was again we're all we're, i think bartending our our entire group is a very soft-hearted and charitable lot so you know it really it really drew a lot of attention i i can attest to that even you know even I, here in I los think, angeles I thank you for bringing it up it's a good memory i haven't thought of it in a while it's yeah <laughs> no it and you know i tell the story every honestly i tell the story every time uh i'm in new york uh i i, I tell the story you know i don't know how many times your ears ring but you've come up in conversation for me uh several times throughout my life and i always tell that story because it um you know people don't realize how generous the bar industry is um Very and much, yeah. yeah and uh now that i you know i work in in the in the liquor business a little bit more i get to see that you know firsthand a lot more and uh I, yeah, I we got things like like we got things like okra down there still happening uh we got um speed rack is a huge competition yeah. that goes all over the world now it's a global competition for women bartenders uh, for breast cancer, you know, speed, it's a speed competition. So the speed rack, you know, they're talking about their rack. Yep. Um, so it's tongue in cheek. We've got the barman's fund, which I was a part of when it started, which, uh, um, bars, uh, bartenders will bartenders all over the community. There's the bartenders fund is in, they have one in New York and one in, uh, New Orleans and one in San Francisco. And you, they, you know, uh, 
I haven't done it since the pandemic, but it, it was one night a, a month where a collective of bartenders from all over the city would just determine Tuesday night to the night, Tuesday the 23rd, whatever that is, all tips that we generate go to this school. It's always a school to get them computers or whatever, or paper, you know, pens, pencils, whatever they need for that school. And, you know, you get 10 bartenders to participate. You get a brand on board to bring in something you can sell to your consumer for cheap, and they'll tip you what they normally would have paid yep. in the tip. Uh, and then suddenly, you know, you've got, you know, um, you know, several thousand dollars every time we do it. And uh, over the years, it's it's into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, you know. That's one thing I, I really appreciate um, about, you know, certain I'm, I'm sorry, it sounds like a big kiss ass fest, but it's true. This is something I really appreciate about you is that you're not afraid to work with a brand. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there, sometimes I'll I'll hear this you know, the cool kids and, and they'll be like, no, I don't want to work with any big brand or blah, blah, blah. Right. That doesn't mean that a big brand doesn't make a good product. And then I'll see Montenegro in the back bar and I'm like, you know, dickhead, yeah, uh, that's my huge. gallo. Uh, like if yeah. you got hit by a Montenegro truck, you'd get like Tracy Morgan Walmart money. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. relax, stop pretending you're yeah. like the cool kids. Uh, that's one thing I, you know, I've, I've seen you work with Campari, which, which I'm a fan of. Uh, Massive. Yeah. You do a lot of work with them, actually. <laughs> yeah. And, you yeah. Know, I mean, and you know what? They, I'm tired of kids getting all these benefits when you're doing these charity. The <laughs> teachers need cocktails. You, get, get them some bars in the school. We know yeah, you're, right. you're we, there you go. we know your strength. I mean you can drink wine in church. Why can't you drink wine in school? Come on. Teachers every, need alcohol. <laughs> every desk should be outfitted with a little mini bar that has the little hotel hotel nips in it, you know? Oh, teachers I be, all I drink. Teach, I'd be back teaching if that was the case. That'd be great. I, I've actually moved no, on see, now to Averna. Okay. What yeah. were you drinking first, though? You, I was drinking uh, Amaro Montenegro. That's why I just had it in my mind okay. when I was talking about the, yeah. you know, the schmucks that'll say they don't work with big brands and then they have Montenegro in the back. Um, sure. Now you've switched <laughs> to Averna, which is Grupo Campari. Yeah. I mean, I, um, and I love this and, stuff. And, and Megan, I saw you've switched to a, a glass now. Were you drinking out of that glass? Yeah, it's just a white wine that was in my yeah, fridge. I even, it's not even like a fancy it's one. Cooking it's one wine. of those ones. So there's it was cooking like at Whole Foods for like $4.99. <laughs> okay. I was like, yeah, let's do that. Listen, I think that, I think that people get uh, you know embarrassed or foolishly, I think, uh, about about the prices. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, It doesn't mean a damn thing. And I also think they get a little uh, trepidatious about the packaging. You know, the the best thing for the wine, for the liquid that's in there, the best thing is box. Really? Yes. The bag Why? collapses. The bag collapses as you drain the wine out. So no oxygen ever touches the wine. Oxygen is the enemy of wine. Yeah. Boxes are the best. Now, here's the problem. Only in the past few years have we got better brands to put their wine in a box. Mm -hmm. right? Oh, it's like so that cycle we were talking about. Exactly. So that's the issue. But it the gives them a bad for, name initially until better does. brands start making better product. Well, until better brands realize that there's money to be had. Right? Exactly. You, uh, money. You, let, you, let, you let people chase the money, and then when you see where they're, where they're going, you just go get the money. <laughs> uh, right? I see I see your, your I think it was your, was your first book, I'm Just Here for the Drinks? Uh, yeah. I it's see right it behind, behind you there. there. What inspired you to become an author? Because I can't imagine wanting to write down anything um, anymore. It, it was a, um, a huge uh, data dump. You know, I feel like, uh, well, I'll tell you the story of how the book came around. Um, there used to be an online magazine called, um, oh man, I'm going to forget the name now. C City, New York Metro. No, that's not it. Anyway, there was an online magazine. It doesn't exist anymore. 
but there was an interview that they did with me uh, over 15 years ago. And the last question of the interview was something along the lines of, well, what's next? Uh, and I said, I've got an idea for a book. I think I'm going to call it, I'm just here for a drink. Um, and I'm, I'm going to work on that. Fast forward almost a decade, well, a little over a decade, when I finally got off my ass and did it. So, and I call it, I'm just here for the drinks. We changed the title a little bit. Um, I just needed to get that information out of my head. It was so much stuff up there that I thought could be better used by someone else if they had it in their hands than just clanging around in my brain. And I got to tell you, cathartically, it is exactly that. People always like reference the book or they'll say something from the book or even talk about a drink that's in the book. Obviously there's drink recipes in there. And I'm like, I have to go reference the book myself. Cause I like, I took that information out of my brain and I put it in there. Now it's safe. I don't have to think about it, <laughs> you know? Um, so it was really like, honestly, it was a data dump. I needed to get my brain freer for other projects and it was, uh, it was good for me to do it. Um, and the book has done exceptionally well. It's, uh, it's been around for a little bit of time now and it still does really well because as I tell my teams all the time at the bars, you know, um, every single day, there's a whole bunch of people who turn 21. Now, granted, our bars kind of shoot for more like 25, but like there's a whole new audience every day. So just because my book's a couple of years old doesn't mean that every single I think I wrote that book for 25 year old as well. Um, every single day, people turn 25. So the book does exceptionally well. <laughs> what year is it that you have to be 21 now? Let's age ourselves. Oh, shit. Oh, God. I mean, yeah, well, it's yeah, 2023, yeah. so uh, 2002. Oh wow! Two thousand and two. I was all. I, hmm. I was working at a not so great place and uh, was about to move here to Los Angeles. Oh man! I was in seventh grade. I was Jake drinking in age. middle school. <laughs> well, uh, Megan was probably see, was, drinking, uh, just hiding it from her parents. But I was I was drinking beers and little shows and smoking pot in the fields behind the house. <laughs> Perfect. I'm not going to say where I was. That's uh, going to date me. Were you in seventh me. grade too? Uh, let me lean into the camera and get you a better look at my face. Uh, I'm 53. So in, in 2002, I was 42 years old. Oh man! It. Well, one thing I'll, you know, a lot of folks don't know about you is that you also worked on a, one of my favorite uh, food shows called Good Eats uh, with Alton Brown. Yep. I always thought it that is. that was a show you could. Um, you could always learn something instead of just watching people cook. I love the way Alton kind of broke down the science of it. Did anything mm -hmm. from that show, because you are, are kind of a scientist, not kind of, you are a scientist in the way you make your bitters and your drinks and, you know, and, and I don't want to say hyper-focused, but you are like with a sniper's, uh, uh, you yeah. know, sniper scope. Well, that, well, so I was the research and technical chef and I played several characters on the show um, for uh, three and a change seasons. Uh, seasons three, four, five, and part of six. Um, so you can you can spot me as a character in some of the old shows. Like I play a cowboy, I play a scientist. You know, everyone everyone who plays characters on that show are just people who are on the crew. He would be like he'd grab the lighting guy and say, "You're playing this role," you know. Um, so uh, and yeah, so being the research and technical chef for the show meant that exactly that a lot of research, a lot of digging around, finding recipes that we knew would work this time, next time, every time. Finding recipes that we knew could be, um, you know, recreated uh, in, in homes all over the country. You know, this predates this, the ease of the Internet. Um, the Internet was around, of course, but it wasn't so easy yet. So, like, I remember many times we'd have a, an ingredient or two in a, in, a, in a dish that we were going to do. And we'd sit down with a list of phone numbers and we'd call 
grocery stores in the middle of the country in like Iowa and be like, Iowa, do you have Old Bay seasoning? Because we think Old Bay is like a ubiquitous, right? Everybody has it. If we got enough nose, we change the recipe and do something else, right? Because we want people to be able to do the thing. We never what had a, a food fun stylist. job. I'd love <laughs> yeah. to do that. That sounds yeah. like right up my alley. It was kind of fun, actually, talking to grocers all over the country. Old oh, Bay, yeah. Old Bay seasoning. You never heard of it? You put it on crab. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, no, that's, that's crazy. That not every, that's not everywhere. Come on now. Right? <laughs> um, but then, uh, uh, you know, uh, we also never had a food stylist on the show. Everything we did was, was we made it that way when wow. you as the viewer would make it at home, you wouldn't be like, mine doesn't look like theirs. Yeah. You, know, you guys never had those like traditional ours. beauty shots that, you know, you no, see on that, every no. show with the perfect lighting had, and the, yeah. We never had anybody in there painting grill marks on or faking smoke coming off of something. You know, it was all as it was. Um, and then, uh, does that translate? Yeah. Well, like I said, when I got behind the bar, that was, uh, after, so I left Good Eats, then I went to um, teach, uh, 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 well, I went to New Orleans for a while, and then I went to teach in Montpelier at the culinary school, and then I came to New York, and so I still had that, like, very research-oriented mind, and when I got behind the bar, that's what I did. I started digging into books. Again, the internet was just burgeoning at that point, so there are a couple of blogs that I was going to to look and read about cocktails, um, most of it crap information, some of it you could suss out some good stuff, and... Uh, so yeah, definitely informed by that. And then I, you know, I always uh, talk about how, um, you know, my book. So I was a contributor to Alton's first book, which was called "I'm Just Here for the Food." Uh. <laughs> so uh, you know, with Alton's permission, I named my drink. I'm just my book. I'm just here for the drinks. So I just realized <laughs> I've been saying his name wrong for all this time. It's Alton, not Alton. Alton Brown. Yeah. Shit. All right, got it right. At least I know how to say your <laughs> name right. So that's good. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can't. Good. I imagine every time I see your name, I'm like, man. He must get his name butchered constantly. Yeah, a little bit. People want to add that. Uh, they want to. Ma- they want to make me southern, which I am. But my name is Scottish. Um, so yeah. What do you, do you have any nicknames you go by? Uh, not really. I think my name is unique enough. Uh, when I was in high school, they called me the Naked Ape. Um, <laughs> but that's because in gym class, uh, I still I'm pretty. I don't have a lot of hair. Uh, I haven't shaved probably in three weeks. Um, That's why so your partner any, stayed these 10 years. I don't have any chest hair. I don't have any back hair. So when, when you know, changing clothes for gym, they call me the naked eight. <laughs> what about you, Megan? Do you have any nicknames? Oof. Where did we get started? Just with my nicknames for her? Or? So, so many. <laughs> so many. There is no time for mine. Hmm. A little bit. I'm going to reload my... Uh, I'm going to keep an eye out for that, uh, Southern, because that looks uh, that looks really cool. Now, the, now what's a good shelf life for, for Amaro's for folks? Um, I know you said that they, you know, because it is, you know, obviously vermouth is a wine product that's a little bit different. Um, uh-huh. It's not an Amaro, obviously. But, you know, there there are some of those uh, some of those ingredients in your drinks. Yeah, that's a great question. So when we look at a bottle of, I don't know, Lafrague 10-year scotch. That bottle is 10 years old today, right? But in 100 years, that bottle is 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Once the whiskey has left the barrel, the aging process has stopped. So that's a 10-year bottle of whiskey, no matter if you drink it today or if you drink it on your 50th anniversary, whatever, right? Um, This is not exactly the same. And and we think of this kind of as with with all spirits, right? Not exactly the same when you have something like Amaro. Amaro, remember at the beginning, I'm shaking it up now, but remember the, it's still, so now it's cloudy. Right. But in the beginning, there was like a little layer. You could see that little layer on the bottom. Um, Amaro, and that, and that one's unfiltered, so you can see it. But Amaro has particulate matter in it 
that maybe isn't visible to the naked eye, but it's still in there. Mm-hmm. And that particulate matter is still extracting or being extracted by the alcohol that's in there, right? That's what, that's what extracts are. Vanilla bean in some uh, vodka or bourbon or whatever, you're making vanilla extract. The vodka is extracting the vanilla, right? So if those particulates are in there, even though they're infinitesimally small, if you hang on to it tomorrow for decades, plural, um, you'll start to get some uh, unintended flavors, right? Just like if you leave your coffee uh, grounds in the coffee for too long, just like if you leave a tea bag in the tea for too long, you're, there's this bell curve. It's going to get better and better and better. And then it's going to start getting worse and worse and worse. So what happens with Amari is, in my opinion, and I, I you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not the end-all be-all here, although I'm a pretty known expert in this particular arena. Uh, People bring me these vintage ones all the time, and I'm disappointed by them every time. What happens is the bitter notes begin to stand even more forward than they were in the first place. And granted, these things are supposed to be bitter. So you're like, that's a good thing, right? And I'm like, no, there's balance involved, right? The problem is that things like sugars fall out of solution as time passes as well. So suddenly, you got that bottle of Fernet Branca in your hands now. Mm -hmm. You hang on to that bottle for, you know, 50 years you're going to have um, this thing that's all bitter and no sweet. But as you're about to taste that thing, you're going to find that it is bitter, but it's also sweet, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't like to drink the vintage Amari. And there's a group of folks out there who love it, and that's fine. They find things about them that they love. I just find it's not what the maker intended for you to have. You know, the, the, the flip of that coin is I do buy a lot of old whiskey. You know, I bought, mm-hmm. a, I bought a case of my favorite old overall rye, the longest continuously produced rye whiskey in the world. I bought a case of that um, from Sotheby's a few years ago. Uh, it was from 1909. Amazing. Right? And it was delicious whiskey, though it tasted nothing like the current day stuff because things have changed. Nothing changed with the whiskey. Time changed. Uh, it's no longer distilled uh, to the same proof. It's no longer barreled for the same amount of time. It's a different mash bill. It's made with a different type of still. Uh, it's made in a different region of the country. It used to be made in Pennsylvania. Now it's down in Kentucky. Those are different climates. So Very even though the label yeah. says Oreos, <laughs> when I reach in that Oreo bag, I'm pulling out one that's dipped in white chocolate and covered with sprinkles and has a raspberry center. The label didn't change. Time changed, right? Things changed. Um, so I got to taste through time in that regard. But when I taste old Amari, I'm just tasting flat, bitter, unbalanced. You know, they just don't work. Yeah, there's, a, there's a fun so little a bar in Chicago. Um, that, uh, Billy Sunday. Uh, pardon me. Is it Billy Sunday? Uh, it's the Milk Room. It's a tiny oh, Milk Room, of course. Yeah, a little tiny little bar inside the Chicago Athletic Association that is, you know they they specialize in vintage spirits. And uh, I, you know, I encourage everybody to check something out like that. If you if you are a cocktail enthusiast or a spirits oh, enthusiast, yeah. you know, try it once. You can taste some Campari from the 1960s where the recipe was different. You can taste some mm-hmm. older Old Forester. You know, just depends on what yeah. they got. They cross it out on the menu and it's not there anymore. You know, it's vintage spirits. Yeah. That bottle, that case of whiskey that I bought, I, I literally sold one bottle of it to kind of offset the, by the way, it cost me more than a month's rent in New York per bottle. Wow. So I spent a year's I rent. Ask. I spent a year's rent on a case of whiskey. Megan, I redefined for myself what alcoholism is. It's not about how much you drink. It's about how much you spend. How much you spend. <laughs> I, I, for the first time, was at a Safeway or a, a Pavilions, and I walked up to um the liquor like they're getting their liquor store like in those grocery stores like really anyways there's a nine thousand dollar bottle of mccallan m overrated thoughts nine thousand yeah that's a lot of thousands um i mean you know for the people who are willing to spend that money godspeed 
Um, what happens in the whiskey world, though, sadly, is secondary and tertiary markets drive prices. Mm -hmm. So what we have are too many collectors, not consumers. Bet your ass that case of whiskey that I bought from 1909, it's gone. I sold one bottle to offset a little bit, and then I drank the rest. Yeah. Um, you know, I always say about my bar, uh, any bar I own, any bar I have here, even here in my house, um, it's an amusement park, not a museum. We're going to ride these rides. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't Great way collect, to live life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't collect. I consume. Um, you know, there's a part of me, even with that case from 1909, I always say there's a part of me, small, but a part of me that was disappointed that it still existed. Someone should have drank it in 1909. <laughs> yeah. There's a part of me that's excited <laughs> that I get to drink it. If it would have been <laughs> on the Titanic like, or something, you'd be like, oh, shit. At least there's a reason nobody drank it for so many years. Right. This, just got, this just got lost in someone's cellar. You know what I mean? Um, so it just got overlooked and forgotten. So, you know, all the effort and energy and work that the guys who are dead now who made that stuff uh, just got overlooked. Yeah, that would never happen in, in my little bar back here. Uh, no, that would none not happen either, at home. Though. Not so much. None, none of mine either. I can't keep it away from Megan. So let's just be honest. Megan comes in and she's like, ah, pour me a whiskey. And I'm like, oh, hello? Hi? How are you? Come <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's whiskey first, greeting second. That, and that was 730 in the morning. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, That's two whiskeys and then a hello. So there, I'm don't, gonna, don't I'm say ask good you, morning. Don't be presumptuous. Just say hello. A, a couple, <laughs> of, a couple of serious and uh, uh, and a couple of silly questions. I okay. uh, just to you know bring it back to like the darkness that I started the show with. Uh, what was the last thing that made you cry? Oh Jesus, Eddie! What? Wow, the last thing that made me cry. Um, I mean. I think I'm kind of a softy. I kind of, I'm a pretty emotional fellow. Um, so it probably wasn't that long ago. Um, I don't know. Uh, I had a great Christmas with my best friend, who, who, by the way, he and I might be opening up a distillery together. Oh, my. Um, looks pretty likely. Uh, down in North Carolina, not far from Ed Ryan. Um, but he lives in the future. Uh, he is the head of virtual reality at uh, the local college here, NYU. Um, he does 3d projection mapping and, uh, uh, you know, game engine, uh, making and, uh, you know, all that stuff that I don't have any clue about. Um, but he also, when he was a younger man was, uh, played a lot of guitar and, uh, a lot of other instruments as well, the piano drums. Um, and so for Christmas, I found a guy also in North Carolina who takes cigar boxes and makes them into traditional cigar box, uh, strummer guitars with four strings. Yeah. Uh, so I had him. I had him one custom made, and uh, uh, I think I got a little weepy when I gave it to him, and he and he started playing it. That's my, that's Please, my best friend. I'm I'm getting a little weepy. Uh, that's that's <laughs> that's such a beautiful story. See, Southern's just generous. I wanted. Uh, so I wanted. Like he lives in the future. I kind of wanted him to remember that. You know, the rest of us are here in the in the in the now, and maybe there's there's also some past you can reach back to. Yeah, you know? it's, it's super thoughtful. Was he strumming your pain with his fingers? He, uh, Megan, you know that's exactly what he was doing. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what's your favorite song? That. Speaking of strumming your pain with his fingers. Well, at the beginning of the show, you talked about the song you couldn't remember the name of that, that reminded you of your dad. And I was going to poke fun of you. Um, there's a, this is not my favorite song, but I'm just going to talk about it because you, you brought it up. Yeah. There's a song um, that uh, I saw on uh, social media, of course, that's where we all live, um, that the guy called in asking for a song from the DJ, but he didn't know the song. So he's kind of just oh. describing it. You know this, the yeah. Reebok and yeah, Reebok, the Reebok was it and like, the yeah, 
<laughs> it's one of the best phone calls ever. Okay. Uh, it's amazing. And the DJ susses out that the guy is asking him for the rhythm of the night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, like, like, the night. <laughs> he's like the Reebok the or Nike song. <laughs> and he starts playing it. And the guy goes, goes, you know, he's so excited. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Um, so sussing it out. Um, my favorite song. I don't know. You know, I listened to a lot of punk rock music when I was younger. And that's still kind of what I listen to the most. But to be honest, as I'm getting older and softer and at the bar, we play a lot of jazz. So if I had to call out one that I could listen to over and over uh, without getting too tired of it, probably be something like Take Five by Babe Brubeck Quartet. Yeah, great you song. Um, your favorite condiment? I really hate to say it <laughs> because it makes me sound like, I guess, exactly what I am. I mean, I'm a lot of things. I'm a chef. I've cooked all over the place. I'm a, I was a butcher for years. Um, you know, I bought myself a half a pig for Christmas and I've been cooking that on my grill out back as, as time goes on. Um, smoking, love doing that stuff. Love charcuterie. I used to make a lot of sausages, but man, the condiment that pops up the most in my life is mustard. But like yellow French's mustard. I love yellow mustard. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a common ingredient in a lot of, you know, like barbecue sauce. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't like it straight up. Yeah, I love yellow mustard. This doesn't mean I don't love a lot of other mustards that are probably in my fridge right now. There's probably at least 10 different ones. But I know that if I'm making a sandwich, it's mustard. If I'm having a hot dog, it's mustard. If I'm uh, dipping French fries, I prefer to dip them in like a little bit of mayonnaise and mostly mustard. Um, wow. Yeah. You know, like mustard is kind of my... That is different. No direction. Can you... Can, have you made a pork belly that's like smoked <laughs> oh, and crispy oh, yeah. on the outside? Oh, yes. Oh. yes. I'm obsessed. And I need one in my life. I keep watching videos of them cutting into it in the crunch. I can't yeah, yeah. stop watching. He had a vegan barbecue yeah, spot try, that was amazing, me. by the way. I did, yeah. Yes. Yeah, honeybees. Yeah, sorry. I remember going. That was what replaced him Fuegos, right? It was. Yeah. yeah. And the pandemic the pandemic took that away from us. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. vegan barbecue. Uh, we can do anything with vegan. Listen, my company, Overthrow Hospitality, we have 10 locations in the East Village alone. And they're all different. We've got a Mexican joint. We've got a pasta and wine bar. We've got a tapas place. We've got a, a vegan dessert uh, bar. Um, and then, uh, you know, to really put the screws to it, we have a vegan um, southern soul food spot called Cadence. Our chef over there got a nod from James Beard and Michelin last year. Uh, the James Beard list just came out yesterday. So she got a nod this year as well. She hasn't won yet, but she's on the list. So, you know, you're using on the list for a few years before you tackle it. Um, but this year, she also took 30 under 30 on Forbes. We're crushing vegan Southern soul food. It can be done. Wow. My, my opinion is, again, as a former butcher, I'm not vegan myself, but I, I don't have any problems with it. Here's why. I think of a lot of things philosophically. Uh, and philosophically, we can sort of eschew the notion of cuisine. We, can, we don't have to say it's Mexican or it's uh, Japanese or, or it's Italian anymore. There's really only two left. It's delicious or it isn't. And if you can make me delicious food without using any animal products, go for it. I'm happy to eat it. All I want is delicious. I've been to a, a couple really good vegan t- um, tasting menus because I didn't have a choice. It was like vegan month when I visited yeah. Detroit. <laughs> well, right sure, again. I'm well, trying it and again, it be vegan every Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah don't drink right. and don't eat meat products. Don't, don't eat animal products every Tuesday. And you've, you've done it for 50 days of the year. Well, it really innovates too when some of the top restaurants in the world, place like 11 Madison Park is now a vegan restaurant, which is, that's wild to me. That was huge for us as a company. You know, we've been out here grunting along and doing vegan stuff for years now. And to have EMP uh, be holding the title of number one at the time and flip to vegan 
uh, very validating, you know, um, very, very validating to let us know that we're, we're out here doing the right thing. I think, I know you, you're all about food, Eddie, and I think in, you know, again, a short amount of time within our lifetimes, it's going to be a very expensive prospect to go to, let's say, a steakhouse. And it's going to be kind of out of most people's range to hit a steakhouse, even even celebratory, even once a year, you know. Um, and then I think uh, that's going to translate to other uh, animal products as well within our lifetime. We're going to see it be difficult because, frankly, it's the right thing for the world to do. Uh, and, and it's just leaning more and more that way every day. Yeah, I, I, I consider Albino's switch at now. some point um, to predominantly uh, a plant-based diet later in life. Oh, yeah, Megan's going to the Korean barbecue joint like, next door. This was fun. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> uh so i i i love to find out people's drunk stories and uh just finish this sentence for me uh that night was crazy i was so drunk that i uh woke up in austin texas (laughs) oh shit oh you win wow bravo Yeah. yeah um we had gone down to new orleans uh to to frankly, to do some eating and some drinking. And a friend of ours lived in Austin, Texas, which is not a not a short distance away. Uh, and we got just absolutely hammered and got on a, a bus. Uh, <laughs> woke, up next, woke up the next morning in Austin, Texas. <laughs> That's my favorite. Oh, that sounds like the worst day, too. Did you just hair of the dog it? Or did you detox yourself and you're, get your ass back? All right. This this inevitably comes up. And here it is. So I'm going to I'm going to um, give you the give you the truth here. Um <laughs> There's a certain percentage of human beings on the planet that metabolize alcohol in a different way. That percentage is estimated to be as high as 25. So that's, that's, that's a lot of people, but there's a lot of people who don't drink, so they don't know it. There's a lot of people who are older, young, don't drink for whatever reasons. Um, so they just don't realize they have it. Uh, I have never had a hangover. I can drink whatever I want. God, it doesn't matter. Nice Bless job. You. Well, bravo. And, and it's still amazing that, right you can, that you can, you know, still have discipline. How, however, that's the thing. That's what the double-edged sword part, right? And I can describe that for you in one sentence as well. <clears throat> I lived in New Orleans for three years. So they tell me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I think I walked by the Anne Rice house, maybe. I don't know. I, was, yeah. I think I was there three years. Um, so they tell me. So they tell me. <laughs> so they tell me. Uh, so, that, town, that town beat me up. But uh, yeah. So there, I really want to acknowledge you and, and thank you for for your honesty. Where where can people find you? Of course, they can get uh, uh, your books on Amazon. Um, yeah, sure. Um, you can get them directly from me as well. Even I, better. I have a little store on on Big Cartel. If you buy them from me, um, they're a little more expensive because I'm I'm just me. But the reason the, the the payoff there is that I will personalize them. You know, I'll sign them to your name. Um, uh, but if you get them on Amazon or or your local bookstore, of course, would be the better option. You know, I'm a small business. I'm always rooting for small business. Uh, Amazon doesn't need any more of your money. Yeah, you're um, one of the good ones. All your information. We're, we're, They're taking uh, over the world. They're taking over football. Yeah. I'm glad I have a membership, but my God. <laughs> taking over football. <laughs> uh, but my store is uh, it's on Big Cartel. So bigcartel.com uh, and then search Creative Drunk. I'm Creative Drunk on all social media as well. Um, and then on my on my Creative uh, Drunk Cartel store is also my two bidders. I've launched my own two bidders. I want, launched one last Christmas and one this Christmas. Um, Driftwood is cinnamon and grapefruit, which is a flavor that simply doesn't exist. And I'm so shocked to know that because cinnamon and grapefruit, cinnamon syrup and grapefruit juice is Don's mix and many classic tiki drinks. Uh, But I was like, why can't I have that flavor in the bitter world? So I made cinnamon and grapefruit bitters called Driftwood. 
Uh, and then this year I launched um, uh, um, Garden Party. Uh, Garden Party is a cucumber, uh, celery, sorry, cucumber, ginger, and uh, um, basil. Um, and so I feel like the driftwood is kind of your all-purpose darker spirits bitters. So I wanted to make the other side of that coin. Garden Party is very uh, amenable to all the lighter spirits. But again, there's no wrong answer. The only way to misuse bitters is to misusing the bitters. <laughs> Well, and when you watch his videos, I love that he's very specific about what a dash means, because uh, you'll see that mm-hmm. on a recipe, a dash, you know, and depending on which bottle you're using, it, it, it can be a little different, but you give a really nice, uh, uh, you know, at least a consistent measurement to Correct. your style of, of making drinks. And I think that helps people so much, just yeah. knowing that little finite way of, of you know, of how, of how you do it, because they are then exactly making it like you. Yeah, I, well, as close as they can, you know. I also am. I'm always one to say my favorite quote in, in at Coup, back to Coup, You know, we didn't. We knew we weren't going to be there for long, so we just decorated the walls with butcher paper. That um, my partner actually she, uh, is a letter artist, so she did all the lettering, and they were all, um, you know, protest signs of the time or quotes. And the quote that I asked to be put up there is one of my favorites. I live my entire life by this quote. It's not just at the bar or in the kitchen or whatever. Ted, Teddy Roosevelt said, uh, "Do what you can with what you have where you are." Uh, so, you know, if you don't have the right mixing glass or the right spoon or the right glass to serve in or the right ice, do what you can, what you have, where you are. You're going to have a great time. Souther, you are a gentleman and uh, we would love to have you back in the future. Whenever you have okay. that new uh, that new distillery, we have we have all of the good juju and good vibes going for you. We would love to to have some here on Kill the Bottle podcast and chat about it with you. Uh, we end so the show. Away, but, uh, but that would be great. It's going to be called Mountain Chase. Ooh. That's the name of the farm that, that he inherited uh, his dad passed away uh, kind of a father figure to me as well but uh, it's a big old farm and uh, we're gonna hopefully put a distillery there well uh, the only thing we don't write a theme song (laughs) write a theme song that has so many has so many things running through my head i'm thinking irish drinking song happening with that i love it (laughs) coming your way mountain chase yes So thanks so much for spending some time with us here on Kill the Bottle, guys. Please subscribe, rate, review, uh, check out Sother's Speak Easy podcast. I, I found it easily on Spotify and uh, great, great liquor talk on there. Uh, he had an interesting chat about uh, uh, about Fireball there, Megan. So I know you're a Fireball fanatic. <laughs> so you, we have to send you that episode so you can, you know, so you can listen to him dissect the Fireball situation. Uh, so guys... <laughs> look at Megan. Megan rarely get gets like excited. She's like Megan has these very big expressive Aww. eyes. Oh, I asked him about his like you know. I got so drunk that I she fucking leaned forward like face in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Anyway, sorry. I'm here trying <laughs> to give this guy some time to go home and chill out. Uh, he's already home. But anyway, thank you, Southern Teague. We appreciate <laughs> you guys. You. Follow him. Love on him. Support him. He is one of the good ones. See you next week on Kill the Bottle Podcast. <laughs>